Hello and welcome back to another episode of Political Agenda with me, PJ Thumb. Political Agenda is brought to you by New Narrative, newnarrative.com. I am wearing a brown and yellow batik shirt sitting in front of a map of Southeast Asia with two other people and we're behind a black table. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Tio Yisheng of Hacken Unicorn is here to talk about the business side of activism. But first, as always, if you like what we do, please do join or subscribe to New Narrative. We are entirely supported by uh, members and we desperately need your support. So go to newnarrative.com slash join to join as a member or to newnarrative.com slash donate to donate. And now, Subash. Okay, so joining me as always on Political Agenda, my co-host Sean Francis Han, Editor-in-Chief of Wake Up Singapore. How are you today, Sean? Hey, I'm good, yeah. Very glad to get into this episode because I've been following them for a while, right? Um, checking out their clapbacks, the um, content, the memes, and the nice little illustration. So I, I'm, I'm really quite keen to get into this one. But before all of that, I'm wearing a striped t-shirt and my pronouns are he, him. Oh, I forgot to mention my pronouns. They're also he, him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, Yisheng, before we kick anything off, why don't you tell us uh, what you're wearing, what your pronouns are. Hi, uh, I'm Yisheng. I am wearing a short sleeve shirt with floral prints. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. All right. Okay, so let's just jump right into it, right? Who are you? And what made you get into this? Right. And also, what is Hacking Unicorn for yeah. our audience? <laughs> right. um, I will start with myself first. Mm -hmm. So, I am a nerd, quite a nerd. I love physics in school. Mm. Uh, I think physics is one of the coolest subjects, coolest topics ever. Mm. Um, I love playing video games. Mm -hmm. um, I studied accounting in NUS, mm -hmm. so quite the nerd. Um, <laughs> Uh, but in my career, before I did Hacking Unicorn full-time, I was a UX designer, oh. so user experience designer at tech startups. Okay. Uh, so design has been my hobby, uh, even while I was in school. Mm -hmm. And before graduation, I kind of decided that I'm just not going to be an accountant. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to do design, which is kind of different. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked in a couple of tech startups as a UX designer, mm -hmm. um, designing like software products. and now, uh, since March 2020, mm -hmm. I have quit my full-time job and I'm working on Hacking Unicorn full-time. So I want to I kind of get into what Hacking Unicorn is because right now, it's a business. You have a blog, you have a library even, and then you have those things that I am primarily uh, familiar with Hacking Unicorn for, which is the memes, right? Which is the clapbacks where you point out really ridiculous and bizarre logics that appear um, in people who are very reactionary or who are not queer affirming. So what exactly is Hacking Unicorn? If you could locate the essence of it for us. Hacking Unicorn is a queer brand in Singapore, based in Singapore. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the most summarized version <laughs> I could give. Okay. Um, to elaborate a bit more in mm -hmm. terms of like it's a queer brand, so we are mainly a business. Mm -hmm. uh, we sell products, um, enamel pins, notebooks, socks. Mm, I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, that's that's quite um, that's quite interesting. But why 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 a business though? Right. Yeah. So the the context for hacking unicorn is that it it kind of started out as a business because mm. I was creating products and I was trying to sell them. I was trying to see, hey. Do people in Singapore want to buy something that is LGBTQ? Mm -hmm. uh, the designs are a bit more subtle, so mm -hmm. not just like rainbow flags all around. Mm -hmm. um, and I was curious whether there's a demand for that. Yeah. Uh, so right from the start, it was like a business. It was never like, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to create change. Mm -hmm. Or like, this is going to be something big. Mm -hmm. No, it was just like, I'm, I, I designed these cute pins. Does anyone want to buy it? Yeah. Um, so it started from there. And the response was kind of overwhelming because I just wasn't expecting. I was expecting to lose my money mm -hmm. <laughs> in the first batch. Um, so it kind of grew out of like proportion in terms of like my expectations. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so it got to a point where I think it's just natural for me as well. Like mm. as the account grew, and I'm quite vocal about bullshit, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to like LGBTQ issues in Singapore. Yeah. Um. So naturally, that just happened. Like. So do you do the writing for those yes. names? Oh, nice. So okay. Uh, is it is it just you? It's just me. <laughs> That's everything on the side. Everything. So oh, I, wow, I always wow. say we. When mm-hmm. I, even when I use the account to share stuff, I always say we. Mm-hmm. But it's just me. It's just me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I do everything. I, of course, my brother helps sometimes. Mm-hmm. My friends help to you know read, to check for grammar and yeah. stuff sometimes. But most of the stuff uh, is just me. Wow. Um, yeah. So so what are some of the sort of, what are some of the big struggles and personal costs mm. that come with running uh, your own business, especially an LGBTQIA business? There are a couple. Uh, All right, let's hear them. So one of the one of the first things that comes to my mind is the fact that a lot of my ads and products on Facebook will get rejected. Wait. Okay. Wait. Why? Um, okay. So. <laughs> uh, As in, is I thought they were like um, LGBTQ friendly, right? They had the, they had the rainbow reactions, right, right. or they so, had the so, yeah. I think okay. So this is what I think is happening uh-huh. again. Facebook is being very uh, vague with the description. So whenever my products or ads get rejected, they will say that it goes against community guidelines or community standards. And I've read it a couple of times because like, they yeah. have told me that enough that I, I went to check it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that it, it did not <laughs> go against standards. So I think what happened, uh, and again, because I worked at a few tech startups, so I'm kind of familiar with how these kind of things might work. Mm-hmm. What might have happened is that um, people who are not supportive of LGBTQ identities, when they see the ad, they're not happy, right? Yeah. And the, they will flag it. Yeah. And the closest thing they could find, closest, because you can't flag something as, I don't like uh, this sexual orientation. Yeah. So the closest thing they could find is that it's sexual in nature. Right. And so they flag it as sexual. Okay. And then if enough people flag it, Facebook might automatically take it down. It's a bit of an irony flagging a unicorn as sexual content, yeah. right? Okay, but... <laughs> I mean, New Narrative has a similar problem. For some of our ads, they're rejected with no real explanation. Uh, but because of who we are, we do have to say that... Uh, do you have to check the box that says this post or this ad is about... Was it social, social political? You also have to uh, do no. that? No. No? No. Okay. like, fuck it, it's not. Yeah, I'm yeah, telling, it's not. I'm telling it's your kids. Business, yeah. You're telling yeah. me that's social, fuck you. Like, okay, <laughs> but... but uh, so that that the ads and products being flagged mm. is still okay. After a while, I think I kind of got used to it. Mm. Flag it, review it. A human will come and see it. Yeah. The human will say that fuck it, it's not sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they will approve it. It's more of a failure of their, their algorithm that you know it, it's flagging right. you or that pe- too many people are complaining. Um, because also the algorithm shouldn't be showing your ad to people who don't or who Ooh. are homophobic, right. right? That's that's Facebook supposedly incredibly powerful algorithm creating echo chambers. It mm. should only be showing your ad to people who are supported. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and what are some of the other... Yeah. Right, so the products one is fine. But okay. what happened was in November last year, mm-hmm. 2020, um, my ad account was suspended. And I was like, what? And so the office, again, Facebook is being very vague with the reasons. Your ad account got my suspended. My ad account was just okay. suspended. And they told me that there was a payment issue with my uh, uh, card. Um, so I was like, oh shit, like, did it cross the limit? Because, you know, credit cards and yeah. debit cards have limits and stuff. Mm. So I went to check. I went to check my bank records uh, and stuff, and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they just managed to successfully deduct uh, the ad fees. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they suspended it. So... Oh. Uh, I it was it took two weeks for them to resolve, mm-hmm. um, and as you know, November is kind of the peak retail period. Yeah. Um. So that kind of costed like that was the point where I felt like oh shit it is costing me actual money. Mm-hmm. Um. And eventually, what happened was my account was suspended. Somehow they asked me to upload my personal NRIC to verify my identity. Again, I'm not sure how this relates to a payment failure, mm. but somehow coincidentally. They also asked me to do that. And so I did. Because what else can I do? Um, Usually that step is only, like again, for new narrative, because we, are, we have to check that box that says this post is on political, you know, electoral, social mm. issues. 
And in order to do those sort of posts, you have to be personally verified. That's part of what Facebook's trying to do. So I had to upload my ID to, to show that I am a real person and I'm the person paying for this ad. And um, you know, my colleague in KL uh, does the ads in Malaysia and has to... So you have to pay for it in the local currency and be a local person. Mm. Um, but that shouldn't be the case for you. It shouldn't, but it happened. Uh, and... Coincidentally, after I've uploaded my NRIC and they've, they've sort of verified mm-hmm. my identity, my ad account was reinstated. Suddenly, the payment issue was no longer an issue. So I have no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. Facebook is being very vague when I ask them, hey, mm-hmm. what's, up? what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but based on what I've heard, my account wasn't the first LGBT account to, that was made to like upload mm-hmm. such uh, NRIC. And this is just on Facebook. Do you get similar problems with Instagram? the same uh, uh, Facebook is Instagram so like yeah, when it's when, it, Instagram. when it's suspended both uh, like it's suspended on both sides oh okay alright um, so that that's like uh, that's the moment when I realised that oh okay like uh, am I under the radar now like, am I in the radar now mm-hmm. uh, on the radar are people yeah. like watching me uh, but yeah so that was that was a moment where I felt like Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean. So what's okay? So since we're on the topic of big business here, right? Um, and you're a business owner yourself. Do you think representation, right? Representation of the community or any marginalized community by big businesses is kind of just pandering to the community. Because what I'm hearing right now is that on the surface, Facebook can say, "Whoa, we are inclusive." Come up with stickers and rainbow badges and profile filters, right? And then actually still make it really difficult for LGBTQIA businesses or pages to run. Do you think it's possible for big corporations to honestly um, and genuinely do something for the community? Mm. Before I answer that, I, I have to say that I am aware that Facebook has to adhere to regulations given by the state. Um, and that's something I've heard from some of the people who work there mm-hmm. that it's not as if they're these big evil guys trying yep. to like take down LGBT accounts but mm-hmm. they just have to uh, adhere to if they think that something is false within a certain category that they're given mm-hmm. they just have to do it but I mean, yeah. I mean it's the same basis on which Facebook is forced to adhere to POFMA for example or forced to you know take down new narratives posts because the um, either the elections department or IMDA you know issued a takedown order they have to do that mm-hmm. yeah I, mean, so, I can yeah. sort of understand it a bit more if we're talking about POFMA or, or Wake Up Singapore but LGBTQIA issues are just you know that that's something that you need to just take a stand on and right. Facebook appears to at least on the surface have taken a stand on it's not about any particular political affiliations it's this is basic like human rights like this is so fundamental right it, it does it does prove the argument that uh you know lgbtq people are discriminated against in singapore mm-hmm. when you can even do it on this regulatory basis right mm-hmm. lee sien Lung can say all he wants oh we don't enforce 377a there's no discrimination but it's nonsense it's quite clear that um there is not just discrimination on a societal and personal level, but a systemic institution and regulatory level when stuff like this happens. Mm-hmm. Right. So do you think it's possible? I think it depends on the intent mm-hmm. of the companies. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem because for us and consumers mm-hmm. or people who are not involved in the campaigns, we can never know what the true intent was. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are examples of huge companies doing huge things in a positive way mm-hmm. um, and there are co- examples of companies who kind of like fucked it up so mm-hmm. one good example is Netflix yeah. they have basically changed the game of LGBTQ representation in Singapore mm-hmm. if you think back before to pre-Netflix era yeah. we used to watch like cable TV yeah. which does not have representation yeah, right? it gets censored all. it gets yeah. R21 oh fuck they can't air it Mm-hmm. Um, then Netflix came in and they have all the, again they, they impose their own R21 ratings and so on mm-hmm. but almost every show that you watch on Netflix has some form of representation yeah. LGBTQ representation mm-hmm. and this is an example where they don't it's not as if that is their agenda like they were not trying to push anything they just have it 
mm-hmm. and they came into Singapore with the content that they already have mm-hmm. and wow like first time like I can I can watch a children's cartoon that have like asexual people mm-hmm. or like lesbian couples le- lesbian characters it's like it's crazy mm-hmm. so this is one example where Netflix is huge if I can um, if I can jump in again though the, the converse is also still true here because if I remember correctly in 2019 Singapore was responsible for half of all of Glo- Netflix takedowns withdrawals of shows globally mm-hmm. right they had a I can't remember how many but half uh, that uh, around the world where they were forced to withdraw a show from their service for a certain market and half of those withdrawals came from Singapore then. and if I remember correctly it was because of like drugs or cannabis or related yeah. um, I mean but smoking that's is fine other... violence is fine <laughs> drinking is fine yeah, yeah. but yeah. So, so I think this is an example that shows that the state actually is kind of powerful and I think mm-hmm. we, we are all aware of that um, that even a huge company like Netflix I mean no choice right they want to do business in Singapore they have to follow the rules yeah. and so they in, in instances of takedown whatever the government requests Mm-hmm. they have to comply with um, and I think but b- besides those takedowns they have done an amazing uh, job and it might not even be intentional mm. but there's just so much more representation now so Netflix is an example of like a huge company that has really done um, largely positive stuff like RuPaul's Drag Race mm-hmm. it's crazy my cousin watch, watches RuPaul's Drag Race mm. and she's like oh my god I'm so into it I like this queen I like that queen and I was like she understands mm-hmm. Um, How old is your cousin? Around the same age as me, I think slightly younger. Okay, okay. Right. So, mm. so it really has a big impact. And I think other examples are of good examples mm-hmm. are when companies run ads that feature LGBTQ experiences. Mm-hmm. The, the most recent one, I think, is a Doritos ad that uh, mm. featured a father who asked Reddit for help because he thinks his son is gay but he's, he thinks the son is afraid to come out to him. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Right, so that's mm. an example where it's really heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a good kind of representation where uh, it shows the real-life struggles that people have. Mm. An- another example is um, Gillette. I think it's last year or something where mm-hmm. they had an ad that had um, a trans man's first time shaving. Mm. And his dad helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you don't get that 10 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so th- those are examples yeah. where when you watch it, and if people do watch it, it really changes the perspective of uh, what it means to be like LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just realize that they're just humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I think the counter argument to this would be that um, it creates a situation in which, you know, um, a person's struggles or a community struggles only become interesting insofar as they are profitable, right? Um, so companies are kind of just jumping onto whatever gets clicks, whatever helps them make sales, right? Whereas um, for communities that are affected but are not as profitable, so for example, for sex workers or for trans people or for some, uh, people caught in the intersections of identities that put them in very, very precarious um, and silence places, companies are not going to step in. So do you think that that's kind of a problem? I think that that's, uh, that is... You're like, are we leaning too much on, on companies and the state to, to push change? Do you I, think that? I think so when it comes to private companies mm-hmm. having representation, uh, money is always in the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they cannot justify or it's, it's going to be hard for them to justify having a certain thing that might not be profitable mm-hmm. again they are private business right yeah. um, or public listed same mm-hmm. uh, but essentially I think what's interesting is the fact that these so called private mm-hmm. companies entities mm-hmm. are taking the step at increasing representation mm-hmm. um as opposed to something that maybe the state does. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about it, because social issues are huge mm-hmm. and it requires a lot of like funding. Yeah. And who else has the money? The government has the money. Mm-hmm. Huge private companies have the money. 
uh, a lot of like large scale ads and stuff like individuals like, small individuals can't really do on their own mm-hmm. um, so that, that is definitely a problem where if we if we were to look at all these private company or like company driven initiatives mm-hmm. there's always going to be a problem of they're doing it for the money mm-hmm. which is like sure of course they're doing it for the money yeah um, but the the other thing to think about is is it better off with or without that representation because mm-hmm. the alternative is not as if oh then the government will come and do it they're not going to do it mm. so what do we have left um, if these companies or if these ads don't exist if Netflix doesn't have LGBTQ representation mm-hmm. what are we left with we're left with like Singapore 10 years ago mm-hmm. which basically is like SCV yeah and you watch all those mm. like highly censored uh, very uh, boring shows mm-hmm. <laughs> so that isn't a easy answer and I know that yeah. there are a lot of like perspectives on mm-hmm. like oh capitalism as a driving force for social change yeah. can be problematic mm-hmm. and it can be yeah um but the, the, the thing is, we have to also take a look at what is the landscape that we are working in. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, what game are we playing? Mm-hmm. Um, idealistically, uh, capitalism might not be the best thing mm-hmm. that is driving social change. Yeah. But given that we live in such a highly capitalist society, mm-hmm. not only Singapore, but b- basically the whole world, yeah. right? Like what is the best option and then suddenly this becomes like something that might be a bit more viable mm-hmm. although conceptually I do get why people might think that hey it's still problematic mm-hmm. which is true um, and there are examples of like bad sort of like forced mm-hmm. LGBT representation mm-hmm. uh, an example is the Royal Albatross cruise mm-hmm. where they sort of like tried to hold a an LGBT event of sorts mm-hmm. and then it turns out that they were only after the so-called rich gay and lesbian people yeah. and then they insulted the trans community okay. and they kind of fucked up like they, they basically I'm not sure how aware how, how much you all know about this but mm-hmm. they called they used the term like trashy transsexuals huh basically they asked the platform that was promoting it like by the way do you have uh, trans people because uh, we don't want the, we only want the rich gay lesbian we don't want the trashy transsexuals oh something like that right, so first of all transsexuals transsexual is an outdated term like yeah. get educated second like you're just insulting like what are you doing Yeah. so this is an, an, an example where it's not genuine they were just mm. really grabbing the pink dollar and it's yeah. quite obvious like after they asked the questions they're like oh wow what are you doing yeah. um, so there was like backlash yeah. over that so, so, so to what extent do you think the community can hold companies accountable right because you gave a very good nice balanced answer right which is idealistically the system of capitalism and capitalism driven activism would stop but we don't live in that world. We live in hyper-capitalism, late capitalism of the 21st century, right? So a nice sort of middle ground would be that if the community could really hold these companies accountable. So right now where we are, to what extent do you think the people, the market, the community, the people who are actually everyday people can hold these companies accountable, take them to task? Um, I think... There are examples in Singapore where it, the companies were successfully, sort of successfully, mm-hmm. held accountable. Okay. Uh, so one example is the cruise, right? There was mm-hmm. backlash. Mm-hmm. People just boycotted them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was an example where the community was basically outraged mm-hmm. at how they were just blatantly grabbing the pink dollar. Mm-hmm. Another example is there was also a local bookstore and cafe that for a couple of years have been branding themselves as very pro-LGBT. Um, but what happened was towards the end of last year, they, the owner called the police on three of the trans ex staff for, for seemingly trivial stuff. Mm. Um, and anyone who is a bit aware of LGBTQ issues will know that trans folks don't exactly work well with the police because of like a bunch of issues. They might get misgendered. Mm-hmm. They might get date named. Uh, basically meaning they are yeah. called the, the birth name or yeah. the name that they were given at birth instead of what name they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of other issues. Yeah. Um, 
and the context of calling the cops on such trivial matters just seemed really out of proportion. Yeah. And so there was kind of a backlash as well. Mm -hmm. And people were basically outraged mm -hmm. at how could you claim to be pro-LGBTQ but decide that calling the cops on your ex-staff, mm -hmm. trans ex-staff, like how is that acceptable? Yeah. And so the, the community kind of also like held them accountable and mm -hmm. there was backlash. Mm. And I think if you think a bit further back in July last year, mm -hmm. uh, what happened with Mediacorp, yeah. um, there was also backlash when people realized that they actually had a very homophobic portrayal of a gay character in one of the Channel 8 TV series. Mm -hmm. um, and so when everyone realized that, again, outrage, like why we are in, we were in 2020, mm -hmm. how can it be that this kind of like stereotypes still exist in local TV shows. Mm. Um, and so everyone took them responsible. Uh, Mediacorp kind of tried to apologize. They got it right the third time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like, you know, some, to some extent, mm -hmm. people are taking them uh, to account. And it happens when people realize that what they were told wasn't true. Mm -hmm. Um, so to some extent, I think that it, it's kind of working and uh, social media has helped in mm -hmm. a large way because you don't actually have to be in person. Yeah. You don't actually have to have a connection to the people involved mm -hmm. to have your opinion at anymore. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, while we're on the topic you know, of discussing these very broad uh, and sort of abstract issues, right? Um, can you tell us more about your blog, right? Because your blog is a space that really, really discusses these fundamental, kind of tricky, multifaceted questions, right? And and I also just want to ask, you do the blog, right? Yeah. Because it's it's like suspiciously well done. Like there are Thank graphics you. for every article. Oh, there yes. are article series. Um, there's a ton of research done. They are really well polished, right? I mean, right. I, I remember looking at blogs in general, right, from my old jobs or from other NGOs. The blog is often like an, it's like an SEO machine, right? It's just there to make the, the website pop up on, on Google right, search, yeah. right? But your website, your, your blog is a real treasure trove of information. So I'm just wondering, first of all, how do you do that? And then number two, what, do you, what are you trying to achieve with it, right? So um, the fact that I was a UX designer, mm -hmm. helped a lot in terms of the design of the whole brand. Mm -hmm. So I design everything, I Photoshop, I did everything, and including the blog. Again, I'm kind of like a perfectionist. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do think that, um, and again, it's a very designer thing to say, but I think that a, a well-designed cover image mm -hmm. catches the attention of audiences mm -hmm. more than a lot of blogs think mm -hmm. and if you have especially on Facebook you know there has that, that thumbnail will show up yeah right so a lot of like blogs I guess don't focus so much on the cover image but me being a designer me being like a perfectionist I care a lot so I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time sometimes maybe too much time <laughs> on designing the cover images of the blog mm -hmm. post um, and part of the reason why I could do that is because the sort of the cadence for the blog is around once a month. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, publish three articles a week, mm. right? Um, and the sort of philosophy or the concept I went for was that I would publish in-depth, super, super good articles. Okay, a bit, uh, what I say? Uh, no, but I mean, you're taking the time out to do them, right? Yeah. Because if, if I'm not wrong, that's not optimized, right? You want to do like once a week, or slightly more than once a week, but you're doing once a month kind once of thing. A month. So you are, your philosophy is to focus on the quality. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay, I have to say, I was a bit inspired by last week tonight. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the oh, show. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Right. So John Oliver does one show a week, which is uncommon. Like in mm. America, they do it every day. And his way of doing it is to just spend a fuck ton of time researching, mm -hmm. developing a story and he does it once a week and it's like fucking good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so that was kind of like my inspiration for the blog. I want to do something that is like once a month because that's the time I can allocate. Uh, mm -hmm. But I want to do it and make sure that it's really good. Mm. Um, and I think 
that it, at least for me that kind of makes more sense than trying to churn out multiple blog posts that mm. may not be so good yeah. uh, so that that was kind of like why I decided to go with something that's a lot more in depth and mm-hmm. a lot more um, effort <laughs> required mm. so, so um, where do you get the ideas um, and the inspiration for the content right mm. because um, I started out uh, getting to know about Hacking Unicorn mainly through the memes, right? And they're really good kind of clapbacks where, you know, you really point out the crux of the flaws in the other person's logic, right? Mm. In anti-LGBTQIA person's logics, right? Um, and then now with the blog, you also have a lot of very interesting content tackling issues that I never thought about, right? right. So, I mean, one of them that I, I, I really liked was conversion therapy in Singapore. Mm. I never really... I didn't know that it made it to our shores. I thought this was like a redneck American South kind of thing, right? And then another one was the debate between uh, the bisexual community and the pansexual community. So these are like, there's a debate, you know? Like, so where do you get where do you get the inspiration or the spark for the content mm. for your memes as well as for your blog? Right. So for the for the memes or for the comics, the approach is slightly different. So mm-hmm. it's more like. It's more built for social media. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be lightweight. It's meant to be consumed in a matter of seconds because mm-hmm. there's only like four to six panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tends to be a bit more lighthearted. So mm-hmm. poke fun at things that don't really make sense. Yeah. Double standards and stuff. Uh, and ultimately, it helps queer people laugh at things that actually hurts, but like, fuck it, we're going to laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the approach for the cartoon mm-hmm. or the comics. For the blog, it's more in-depth and it's intentionally in-depth and it's supposed to uh, help increase awareness of LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. mainly in Singapore, but sometimes I also write about not, not just about Singapore stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea for that is, I think, unfortunately, we are still at a stage where a lot of people are still... Uh, sort of in denial in the in, set, in the sort of like they don't think that discrimination is mm. happening or is real mm-hmm. uh, yeah, against I mean, they LGBTQ. They can't see it, right? They, they, it doesn't happen to them. They can't see it. They think it doesn't happen. Yeah. But it doesn't help yeah. that our politicians, uh, uh, I wouldn't say lie, but uh, say stuff that may not align with my personal experiences mm-hmm. of what it means to live as a gay person or as a queer person in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think our politicians also don't see the discrimination and don't believe... I, I don't think they're lying. I think they genuinely don't believe it exists because these are very privileged people, right? Mm-hmm. And they can't see a lot of this happening. So they just assume it doesn't happen. Or they are, there are systems and you know institutions to deal with it. So they assume it's being dealt with. But that's yeah. not true at all. Yeah. It doesn't translate to actual uh, you know, uh, change on the ground. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so the block is... The main objective is to raise awareness of issues. And mm-hmm. so I have like a Trello board of ideas of mm-hmm. uh, uh, what I could write about. Oh. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these were like, it always starts off as like, oh, buy versus pen. Because mm-hmm. I know about this because of Hacking Unicorn. And I've seen, because I follow a lot of LGBTQ accounts and mm-hmm. a lot of them are not in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this discourse has been happening on social media and people raise it up to me and mm-hmm. then I realise oh shit people are actually debating and arguing about this mm-hmm. so some of them come from like what I've seen on social media mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them have just been about okay what are the different forms of like atrocities mm-hmm. happening to the queer community in Singapore mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. the first one we wrote about was uh, IMDA censors- censorship of mm-hmm. uh, LGBTQ content mm-hmm. um, and then the follow up was a huge one about basically trying to be exhaustive of all of the anti-LGBTQ regulations. Mm-hmm. It's, not prob- it's probably not all, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also conversion therapy. So conversion therapy was a bit more personal because, again, I, I like you, right, I did not think that it exists mm-hmm. in Singapore. Um, and what happened was, I've only heard rumours and like mm-hmm. anecdotes. Yeah. And so to me, it's like, it's going to be just like some very, very, very extreme cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I realized that one of my friends, yeah. uh, their parents forced them to attend uh, conversion therapy mm-hmm. sessions. And I was like, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. They're just my friend and I could not tell at all. Mm. And so it then occurred to me that 
these normal, quote-unquote, normal people, everyday yeah. people that we see in our lives, their parents could be forcing them to sort of, like, change their identity mm. or feel guilty about who they are. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a moment where it became real for me, like, oh, shit, actually, there are people who are going through that. Mm-hmm. And it's very selfish because, like, it's very, like, privileged. Yeah. I only didn't think it's real because I've never known anyone. And the moment I knew someone like that, I'll feel like personally attacked or personally mm. affected. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people probably think. Mm. Like they just don't think it's an issue until someone they are they care about experiences that. Mm. And so yeah, that was that was what motivated me to mm. do a lot of research about like conversion therapy in Singapore. Yeah. So I mean Regarding the skills that you would need to pick up to run this very multifaceted business, right? How did you pick those up? Because I'm thinking right now, you have a blog, right? Um, the memes I can understand, the illustration I can understand because you were a designer, right? But the blog, you have a wonderful byline, wonderful narrative structure. It's all put together very nicely, right? And then there's, a, uh, we're going to talk about it in a bit, a library coming out. Right. So for all the peripheral skills that come along with running such a multifaceted business, how do you pick those up? I so the fact or how difficult was it to pick those up? The fact that I was a nerd helped. Okay. <laughs> uh, so so I, I Please I'm, elaborate, I'm a yeah. designer. Mm-hmm. So I'm in touch with the creative side of things. Um but I also studied accounting. Mm-hmm. And I love numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't love it. I can't do it. I love physics. So I'm also very in tune with the logical part of things. Mm-hmm. And I've also picked up coding. Um, coding is amazing. It's so fun. Um, so I, it's I got to be the first person I've heard say that. It's very fun. <laughs> coding is fun. Really? It is yeah. amazing. I don't know. It scares me. But okay. Let's I mean, it's <laughs> Essentially, you create something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And wow, it's just like, okay. Um, <laughs> so what's the back end of your site? Do you use a CMS? Um, so for Hacking Unicorn, I use Shopify, right. which, which is an e-commerce platform. Okay. Uh, so I don't have to care about a lot of the back end mm. stuff. And, mm. But then the, uh, the blog and all the other stuff that Shopify also provides that? Yeah, Shopify okay. does. Okay. I, I, I do oh. like edit some of the HTML, JavaScript, CSS yeah. on, on the site to more of like the prettifying it. Right. Mm. Okay. Changing the style, not, not how it actually works in the background. Right. Um, yeah, so I guess I was just lucky. Like I, I'm kind of in tune with both the creative side as well as the more logistical, logical, m- number-centric mm-hmm. coding side. Um, and my experiences in my previous jobs really helped because mm-hmm. as yeah. a designer, oh, I also learned coding. Oh, I also like push code to production before. Mm-hmm. All these kind of like accumulated and I found myself in a position where I could... Um, create and customize uh, and brand a website on my own I could write because again like I, I was so I was shameless plug I was in the USP program in NUS what's, what's that? Uh, it is a semi-elitist program <laughs> university scholars program yes right? mm. uh, we are not all scholarship holders that's mm-hmm. just the name that they give um, but it's, it's an amazing program and mm-hmm. my writing just like changed after I've been through the foundational writing module mm. and like my, my, the way I think just changed mm. um, so that really helped in terms of like how I write okay um, of course my brother helps like he helps to mm. check the grammar he helps to edit uh, he suggests like oh this sentence like what, what are you saying mm-hmm. things like that so it's not like really just one person yeah um, but yeah I just like all those stuff and I like reading it on like legal statutes Wow. Especially. Oh, okay. No, okay. No, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure how whether you're aware that uh, gay marriage is not allowed in Singapore, um, and yeah. it's not yeah, because pretty well not not because it just did not include gay marriage. It's mm-hmm. explicitly voided. Oh, yeah. it's codified. Yes. Okay, that yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Right. So, like when I found it, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so oh, so that, then somebody something. actually took the time to write an extra line there. Yes. No, uh, two of the it's, same it's a, it's a very interesting history because it didn't occur because uh, they were uh, specifically against gay marriage. It was, um, if I remember correctly, it was because we started uh, having 
um, you know, gender affirmation surgery in the 70s. And then there was a case in the 90s where a couple got married and one of them had, uh, you know, um, had transitioned to a different gender without telling the other partner, mm. right? So I think it was a man who transitioned to a woman on, you know, uh, officially changed their gender mm-hmm. um, and then married a man. And then when the man found out, he sued. Uh, and so that's why they changed the law to specifically um, void, void uh, marriages. I think you'll, you'll have to help me here because I, I can't remember the exact details. now. I think it's the same sex, basically. Uh, yeah, they, they, I think it's specifically, the law specifically says marriage must be, to, be between a, one man, one man and one woman. Um, and is it based, it doesn't have to be based on their birth, I see, right? But that no, was, so there are specific uh, birth lines that actually yeah. mm-hmm. say that if a person legally transitions, mm-hmm. that will be uh, the sort of, the, the sex that, the law will look at so if if a trans man legally transitions and is legally recognized as a man mm-hmm. he can marry a woman that's fine okay um so so there, there are clauses that are like in a way a bit trans affirming uh-huh. but there's also that law that explicitly voids same-sex marriage even if you got married overseas Mm. Uh, um, so like you know you can get married in the US or whatever mm-hmm. you come back sorry it's not counted yeah I think there have been couples who there was one couple I think the, the, was it the Cheongs who were blogging about their experience being a, a having gotten married overseas came back to Singapore and then only one of them had rights over their daughter because she mm. had carried the daughter for pregnancy and the other hadn't and then there were all sorts of problems and I think they've left Singapore now because mm. they just found it too difficult something okay. right yeah so, I mean, okay, so speaking about, you know, Singapore's LGBT history, let's talk about the library that you've started. Yeah, you're quite proud about right. that. What is the Unicorn Library? Right, so the Unicorn Library is a place where people can borrow books to read for free. And mm-hmm. all of the books are LGBTQ uh, books mm-hmm. so give us a sampling of that what, 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 what are some interesting titles or ideas in these books right so what does Singapore's LGBT so it's not, literature scene look like there are a lot of books uh, written by Singapore authors that are uh, about queer experiences but not all of the books are Singaporean authors okay um, there, there is a collection of like uh, so one of the books is called Peculiar Crease okay and it was written it was published in the 1990s, mm-hmm. 92 or something. Um, and when it was published, it was Singapore's first gay novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I read it, I read it, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. So that was how long? Two, three decades after it was published. Mm-hmm. I could still feel like connected to mm. the story because for me, it felt like it was the first time there was this gay character based in Singapore mm-hmm. um, and his experiences about love last sex and stuff mm-hmm. and so I felt like oh shit like this was, this was the first time I felt truly represented in a work of fiction mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of things that were a bit outdated in terms of like how things were back then mm-hmm. but even if you read it now you would still find similarities mm-hmm. which is sad which means that things have not changed that much mm. <laughs> Because I still, I still felt like some of the things that were mentioned, some of the themes, like uh, how it's taboo, yeah. how uh, they have to go into hiding, or mm-hmm. the kind of struggles they face, I still feel like it exists today. Okay. So how does this library work then? So it's very simple. It's, uh, the unicornlibrary.com. Uh, so you go there, you browse the collection of books that we have, you borrow, reserve a book. Uh, it gets sent to you via mail, track mail. So mm. you actually know when it arrives. Okay. And wow. you take it out of the mail, you read it for 30 days. There is a return envelope inside with the postage that's paid, mm-hmm. with a return address already pre-filled. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is put the book into the return mailer mm-hmm. and drop it off. So it's the original nice. Netflix model. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, everything is just online. Yeah. You don't have to go to a special collection point. Uh, and you just return it seamlessly. Nice. 
Doesn't it cost you though? It does. Oh, okay. It's, it, it's, it's a loss making thing. Okay. Because like the, the postage will cost money. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, wait, wait. You, so this is it's free? You're... It's free. As in, you have to pay a small deposit, but oh, you okay. get refunded the, the deposit. Right. Mm-hmm. Just okay. in case you lose it or in wow. case. Like, but it, it's a loss making kind of thing. And like, obviously, right, libraries are loss making. Yeah. They don't make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the idea is that I think more people should be reading queer novels, mm-hmm. queer books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just. You, you just have a different feeling when you feel represented in a work of fiction. Mm. Um, and it's just like magical. Yeah. And some of the books are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Picture of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an old book, but yeah. it's so good. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oscar Wilde, it's written by Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so good at writing. Um, and I think that, and funny thing is he was actually convicted of a law that is very similar to 377A in Singapore. Mm. Uh, it was sent to two years in, of hard labor. Mm. And essentially that law kind of, you can trace it back to, uh, you can trace 377A back to that, the clause of oh. uh, gross indecency. Mm. Um, so Oscar Wilde, you know, is an era of black and white footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Singapore, you know, 377 is still around. Say something about how much we have uh, Come progressed. progressed. <laughs> so what gave you but the you idea? Know, if I can mm. also just mm. try and be a bit optimistic the fact is we just discussed uh, marriage being redefined twice in Singapore's history right first the women's charter in 1968 but then redefined again as one man and woman in 1996 or so was it 1992 around there um, which means marriage can be redefined again in the future mm-hmm. so we are a place also where uh, the government has been willing to take radical steps uh, against public opinion or sometimes uh, you know despite public opinion uh, in order to do things which they believe are right um, in this case of course they're on the wrong side of history but hopefully eventually they will come around or a successive successor government will come around but there is you know the fact that we went from uh, a country of polygamy to defined as marriage defines two people you know, that was a huge step in the 1960s, even if that rule didn't apply to certain, you know, mm. religious mm. groups. Uh, and then we re- redefined it again in the 90s. Uh, we can redefine it again today. So mm. there, there is hope, right? And things, we just need to keep fighting and pushing and things can change. So how did you get the idea for the Unicorn Library? I was, I was trying to uh, figure out what are some projects that Hacking Unicorn t- can take on mm-hmm. um, that may not be profitable mm-hmm. uh, that are, that also help the LGBTQ community in Singapore mm-hmm. and I think the library is kind of a nice thing because I like reading mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of queer people find comfort in um, reading these novels mm-hmm. um, and so it's just a nice kind of overlap between something that you need money one, you know, mm-hmm. it's loss making, so not mm-hmm. everyone can do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also helps provide some sort of like comfort for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was an idea. Else. But why, why the library? I mean, uh, pardon my ignorance, but are these books not available in the national library system? Because as far as I am aware, Singapore doesn't officially ban books anymore, apart from, uh, what was it, the Watchtower and Pornography. Right. Uh, so these books should be in the national library system, mm. are they not? I think they are. Most of them are. Okay. Um, but again, you're talking about uh, maybe because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's at a physical library, you actually have to go down to borrow it. Right. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of hassle involved. Mm. You have to go down to borrow it. You have to make sure you return it at the library mm-hmm. on time. So you have to travel again. Yeah. And I think that additional hassle might cause people to not be as keen mm. uh, in terms of like borrowing a book mm. and so the again this is I've just started it so I'm not sure how uh, how how many people are interested in borrowing the books but if there's a way that's a lot more seamless yeah a lot less hassle yeah. people might be more interested and like if if it comes with a slight cost mm. hacking unicorn can bear a bit of the cost mm. for now yeah. And um, I think it'd just be nice to have all the books kind of nicely curated and in one place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, yeah. I love that. Um, I know your time and schedule is very tight, but 
are there any new projects that you're working on anything that you're uh, any new directions that you'd like to see Hacking Unicorn uh, head in in the future um, besides I think there's nothing much planned besides the Unicorn Library mm-hmm. um, but I am actually looking up for an intern oh alright okay so if anybody's um, interested <laughs> yes uh, I, I finally realised that I need some help how yeah. should they, oh, how yeah, should they yeah, make right. that happen? So, yes. so if somebody was interested, how should they make that happen? Right, so you can go to bit.ly slash unicorn intern. Mm. All small letters. Yes, all small letters. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you'll find a page we'll with the, in the job show description. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So would you like Hacking Unicorn to become a big business, to expand and expand and expand? Or, do you like, or would you like to keep it small, you know, close to the way it is right now? Um... I would want it to be successful in mm-hmm. terms of like again it's a business Yeah. so I want it to be as big as it can get mm-hmm. but I'm also aware that the bigger it gets the more problems or the, it, the, the trickier things will get in terms yeah. of mm-hmm. like ensuring that it's still the same thing as what it started out mm. uh, as um, it's a fine line but I think Hacking Unicorn is at a stage where I still want to grow it like mm-hmm. it has not reached a point where I'm worried about losing direction or mm-hmm. losing its way yeah. um, and I think it would be pretty cool if a queer local brand gets so big that the government can't help but take notice that mm-hmm. this sort of entrepreneurship works out too mm-hmm. yeah. um, and all those you know they, they give out those awards for like don't know what new business oh yeah. so cool so cool <laughs> and since when is there ever a queer brand that yeah. you know, like, so I think it would be cool if, if it's successful but I'm also aware that the bigger I get or the bigger Hacking Unicorn gets, the mm-hmm. more problems it might uh, face. Mm-hmm. Especially when I start uh, having more stuff, which again, like, it's just me for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do all the packing and the delivery. So you physically walk to the post office to send all your pins and stuff. Um, so I, I used to do that but right now I'm using DHL and they will pick up the packages. Oh, okay. But I still pack them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so after I pack them, they will come over to collect the packages and wow. then they will handle it. Um, but for local local items, local uh, orders, I will just drop it off the mailbox. Mm. Wow, okay. That's, well, that's a lot of work. It is. All right, so I want to just end off with the big question that we throw to all of our guests at the end. The big philosophical question, what's your theory of change? How mm. do you think change will happen, how it should happen, or how you see yourself pushing for change in Singapore? So, this is tough, of course. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's why we keep it for the last uh, one. Um, I, I have some thoughts, mm-hmm. but I have to say that, again, like, I'm not an expert in this. Mm-hmm. So it's just like my personal thoughts. And I might not have devoted as much attention into thinking yeah, about but this. It's more about how you are trying to create change, right? right. So mm-hmm. it's not about the theory of change, it's your theory of change. Mm-hmm. Because quite clearly, you want to see change in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And I think you're very much hoping that what you're doing will create change. So it's really more about asking you to codify what you're doing into uh, a process right at least theoretically whether it works or not none of us will know you mm. know whether new narrative wake up singapore works we don't know but what is sort of the the theory behind what you're trying to do mm-hmm. so i have a few thoughts about this like one of them is about civil disobedience okay and my personal take is that it's not going to work in singapore mm-hmm. and i think we have seen enough evidence uh to suggest that, hey, this model is not going to work in Singapore because of how um, powerful the state is or because of how they tend to react to such mm-hmm. uh, instances of like disobedience. Mm. So my personal take is that it, it's not going to work. And if you look at maybe like the US history of like LGBT activism, mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with uh, some form of civil disobedience, rioting, yeah. like the Stonewall, whatever. Mm. My personal take is that Singapore is very different and that it may not work out well. well mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I can I mean, there are degrees of civil disobedience, right? And this comes back to something I was talking about recently about uh, James C. Scott's Weapons of the Weak, right? Which is a theory about how people who have very little power in relation to the state resist the state. And so unlike in the, uh, say in the US where you have riots, protests and sit-ins, our level of civil disobedience um, has to extend to things like foot dragging, 
just acting blur, acting stupid, just you know being uh, pretending to be lazy or you know just being lazy. So one example is how we responded to Trace Together and refused to download the app. Nothing's more easy for all of us with smartphones than downloading app. Mm-hmm. But instead, Singaporeans are like, no, we don't want to download the app. Mm-hmm. That is an act of civil, a collective act of civil disobedience, which I was mm-hmm. quite amazed by. How Singaporeans have lost trust in the government that all of us just like, no, we're not going to download this app. Okay, mm-hmm. you force us, we're going to get the token. And then the government's like, wait, oh, what, all we want the token? But we don't have enough tokens. Mm-hmm. So suddenly they're forced to delay, delay, delay. And then this skepticism was then proved, right? Because uh, we're recording this on the 16th of January. And just two, three weeks, two weeks ago, it was shown that the government has been abusing our trust. Mm. So civil disobedience um, has to be, I think, calibrated to the context in which, is, which it exists. Mm-hmm. And so civil disobedience for Singapore will have to be very small acts that mm. are, um, you know, ways of resisting an, overpower, uh, an overpowerful state. Mm-hmm. Right. So just, you know, they, it also takes the form where the government wants you to fill out forms or something like that. And you're like, oh, I, I, I don't understand. I fill out the form badly. You know, I, I, you know this sort of lack of cooperation mm-hmm. um, or just working slowly. The government says, we want to achieve X by, you know, 2021 or whatever. And people are like, no, I don't think we will. We're, we're not going to care about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So... I just want to calibrate what you're saying, right? right? Civil disobedience in a sort of US model where there's a lot more personal freedom mm, mm. is not going to work here. Yeah, right. But we have our own ways of doing things. So I what, guess, what yeah. will work then? Yeah, what will work? I think, so what has worked, mm. I think, is having more um, wholesome, genuine LGBTQ representation. Mm. Um, again, I know there are existing regulations that kind of block that from happening, mm. but it has been proven that the more representation you have, Mm -hmm. the more positive society tends to view uh, LGBTQ issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one dimension that it's almost a sure sure win Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like, if we get more, will it help? Very likely, yes. Um, How do we get there is is another question. Um, There's also a factor of generational change. So Mm -hmm. as we know, the younger people tend to be more accepting of diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be more anti-discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they become of age to vote, that may result in some pressure. Mm-hmm. And again, I know that we have a birth, Singapore has a birth uh, problem where you know younger generations are getting smaller and smaller in number. Mm-hmm. Does that change things? I'm not sure. But the general trend is pretty clear. The mm-hmm. younger folks, they don't care about discrimination or they, they just don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has a very slow and painful, but it's a way where change is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also have to do with the things that they are exposed to. So again, like it kind of like fits in back to representation. Mm-hmm. What kind of things do they see online? Yeah. What kind of shows do they watch? Mm-hmm. And it really affects how they think or how they uh, perceive these kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a small feedback loop there. Yeah. The question of how can we make it faster? Yeah. Um, so obviously hacking unicorn is uh, a bet uh, in terms of a longer term view can a corporation or a company uh, also advocate for change mm-hmm. um, I don't know <laughs> I hope it does I hope mm-hmm. it could but like I really I have no idea so mm-hmm. there's an example where if hacking unicorn could be something a lot bigger yeah. uh, if we could invest in some of these kind of things that might help uh, accelerate change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not there yet, but eventually if we could, yeah. then that could be a way that change could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some examples. I think there are also other things that we can consider. So we have a tendency in Singapore, I think, to think about um, the thing that change happens with the, only happens when the state gets involved. Mm. Um, so we kind of wait for the state to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some politicians said before, if you, want, if you want to make change, come join us, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it may, it may not be true. Like You don't actually have to be an MP or mm-hmm. a minister to, to make change happen. Yeah. Um, and people are starting to be aware that in their own capacity, they can make change happen. Mm-hmm. Hacking Unicorn is one example, right? It's just yeah. me. I started a company. Mm-hmm. 
and then like th- some small change has happened mm-hmm. and so if we kind of like step away from the mindset that only the state can make this change happen and again I understand why they think like that because they are powerful mm-hmm. but there are things that as individuals we can also change mm-hmm. so for example um, if you can call out anti-LGBT behaviours amongst your friends mm-hmm. that's going to be huge mm-hmm. um, if you can take companies or uh, departments of the government or people mm-hmm. uh, hold them accountable for things that they've done that are anti-LGBT. Mm-hmm. That's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people are starting to realise that they have small power but collectively it can be quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a form of civil disobedience. That is like mm-hmm. it's a way of doing things making your views hurt that is still in line with what the law permits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think maybe what I meant was that Singapore's laws are very different mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. American laws. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. And so what, what actions we can do that's still in line with the law is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are things that we can do yeah. as like individual, private individuals. Mm-hmm. So just one last thing. If you have one big piece of advice for anybody out there who may be thinking of or inspired to start an LGBT business or any business that's um, activism social, oriented, yeah, activism yeah. oriented, social justice oriented. What's that one crown piece of advice you'd give them? Wow! <laughs> From all your years and your experience, what's the one thing that you'd like to tell them? Okay, so that the the context of this advice is that they're gonna be running a business, mm-hmm. and my advice is to make sure you know how to get it profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, assumption is that they are not going to get any funding, they're not going to you know, have any grants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they need to know what is the path to being profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can't figure that out, they're going to struggle. And if they are struggling, they cannot advocate. How yeah. does one begin to find out a path to profitability? I, this is this is a tough question because a lot of companies still haven't figured it out. But okay. but so I run an e-commerce store and it's a lot more straightforward. Mm-hmm. You have the cost of yeah. production. Mm-hmm. You have the cost of running your ads or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have the revenue. Mm-hmm. So it's just do the numbers become positive. Oh okay. Right. So basically, so, figure out okay. This is the amount I need to sell to break yep. even yep. and then make a profit. And again, e-commerce is a lot more straightforward. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. companies like Netflix, who yep. are not profitable, but how do they figure it out? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're so huge. They're like so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I think it's important. And I think in terms of like businesses that also advocate probably they're going to be selling stuff mm-hmm. like e-commerce related yeah. it's very important to get your, your numbers straight mm-hmm. it's, it sounds very boring like <laughs> no 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 I totally agree like the one thing people ask me like if you you know about new narrative uh, the same question that Sean just asked my answer is get an accountant from the very beginning of course mm-hmm. you had that built in advantage you're already an accountant <laughs> and you could do the creative side mm-hmm. but for me I'm terrible at numbers I should have gotten an accountant right at the beginning and also an admin manager or you know you, there's a lot of paperwork all that sort of thing whereas people who start businesses I think uh, or at least in our field and in activism we're more the creative side the writing side you know the idealistic side so the numbers and the paperwork need to be taken care of and and I, I would say the pathway to profitability is um, understanding your customer and what they need and meeting that need. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, that ans- being able to answer that question very precisely, right? You actually answered that very well because you like, there's no good LGBTQ-friendly lifestyle brand and you're trying to build one, mm-hmm. right? And when I want, like, I, I, I love your pins, you know, and if I wanted a pin, I would go straight to you because you're meeting that need. And so that's, that's the actual need you're filling and that's great. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, another advice. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. no cheating. Yeah, oh, no, 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 please, please. <laughs> is to start small. And so, like, there's a tendency to look at existing companies or existing accounts and be like, fuck, they're, like, huge now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you feel like you're small. But mm-hmm. you should remember that all of these accounts, all of these companies, they started out small, mm-hmm. right? And you don't see them because, obviously, they're small. Yeah. You only get to see them when they are somewhat big. Yeah. And so, like, 
just start small. Mm-hmm. When I created my first batch, I was the first customers are my friends. A yeah. bit cheating, but they are my <laughs> friends. Um, and then like you know, it slowly grow from there. So don't mm. feel like you have to go up huge. Yeah. And have like, like, like a dump huge, a huge yeah, ton of no. money in it. No. Especially when you're running a business, mm-hmm. right? If you know who you're targeting, you start small first. Mm. That's how all businesses work. You don't feel like, don't have to feel like, oh my god, I'm so small. Like, what am I doing? Mm. That's what all of us yeah. like go, go through basically. Yeah, because um, I'm yeah I'm thinking that you know I have no business sense whatsoever. But I'm thinking you know let's say if I was forced to build a business, you know I'm looking at companies like like Uber or WeWork. They throw just a shit ton of money at the company, and hope it it floats. Right. right? That seems mm-hmm. to be like the model. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're telling us the opposite now. Even if you look at Uber, when they started out, it was a very different product. Mm-hmm. It was like a black car thing. It was yeah. extremely uh, elite, mm-hmm. um, small, yeah. small scale. Facebook started out small, mm-hmm. like a very niche campus, mm-hmm. uh, problematic, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they started out really small. Mm-hmm. And so like if you now these companies are huge, but yeah. if you trace it back, they always start small. Mm. Um, so and, and they were successful because they nailed the first uh, small group of people yeah. and basically like you just need to be aware that whatever you're starting it will always start small mm-hmm. unless you're like a multi-millionaire then go big <laughs> <laughs> you can afford to like yeah. throw a lot of money into it like, mm. like what's that uh, streaming service Ch- Chibi that really dumb service uh, that, that threw in like billions of oh, dollars right, right. and then folded within a year. Right, you know, yeah, that yeah. sort of, yeah, no. Prove the concept and then grow, I think yeah, is what yeah. you're saying, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Yusheng. This has been really, really enlightening. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I learned today that the unicorn does not say oh heck. He says something else. <laughs> but anyway, this was very enlightening and I hope that you have learned, or all of you out there have learned a lot about business, about Hacking Unicorn. Please go and follow them on Instagram and on social media, um, their Facebook page, check out their blog as well. And yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I had a really good time talking to you and I've learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I urge uh, all our listeners to go check out your site and check out your blog. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sean, for co-hosting as always. Thank, Thank you, you to our listeners for all of you for joining us. And um, uh, of course, when we're again talking about business, New Narrative desperately needs your support because we're entirely supported by members. No ads, no nothing else. So uh, we really need you. And uh, so if you'd like to join, please go to newnarrative.com slash join. If you'd like to donate, go to newnarrative.com slash donate. Thank you very much and see you next time. Bye. Where you think that you're gonna go?